together and Joe, let's just worship one more time. Lead us in a song of some kind, a cappella if you want to, that's fine. And let's just worship him one more time before we get into the word today. Thank you, Lord. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, a pure and holy, tried and true. Thanksgiving, I'll be a living, a sanctuary for you. And with Thanksgiving, and with Thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. John chapter 1, verse 35, and I'm going to shoot through about 13 verses real quickly. I want to show you a story. This is the first witnessing scene. This is the beginning of the Jesus movement. John chapter 1, let's read it. The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, this is John 1, 35 through 48. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following, and he said this to them, What do you want? And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? What did Jesus say, everybody? Come and see. He said, Come and see. Now, it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when they went uh, with him to the place where he was staying, and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard what John said, and then he followed Jesus. So Andrew heard John say, there's the Lamb of God. Now, look what Andrew did. Andrew went to find his brother Simon, and what did he say to him, everybody? We have found the Messiah which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. I want you to read that with me. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, look what happened to Simon when Andrew brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked right at him and told him something about his life. Your name is Simon, son of John, but you're going to be called Cephas, which means Peter, which means a stone or a rock. He told him about his future. Now the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and there Jesus found Philip and said to him, Come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So this was all hometown stuff. They were all from the same town. And it says Philip did what, everybody? Once he found Jesus went to look for Nathanael and told him, read with me what he told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, what did Nathanael say? He went, Puh. Now, that's the revised Wickwire slanted version. He said, oh, come on, come on. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And what did he say to him? 
Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached, Jesus looked at Nathanael, and he said, Now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. And he read his mail. Nathanael said to him, How do you know that about me? And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Whatever fig tree you're under, Jesus sees you. He sees you. He knows where you are. Father, we thank you for your word today and for this beautiful picture of the first witnessing that took place for Jesus. Help us, Lord, to be blessed with the knowledge that we're called to do the same thing we just saw. In Jesus' name, before you're seated, I want you to give to the Lord one name of one person who needs to be brought to Jesus. Just one name of one person. Say, thank you, Lord, for touching them. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I believe God heard that, and you can be seated. Last week, we talked about too good to be true. We saw last time that people who have not turned by faith to Jesus, and I want you all to hear this because, and this is what I shared with those pastors last week. We live in a day of pluralism. Here's what pluralism says. Pluralism says any old way to God will do. That's what pluralism says. The message of our culture is, you can't tell me there's only one way to God. Don't be narrow-minded. Don't be bigoted. Don't be ignorant. There's many ways to God. Any old way will do. That's pluralism. But that is not what the New Testament teaches. Now, if you're going to throw the New Testament out, we're on a whole different ground then. But if you believe that this is the Bible, that God gave this word, that this word's testimony about Jesus is true, then can I tell you today, church, that there is not any old way to God. There is one way to come to know, to plug into, to come into personal relationship with the true and the living God. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us, and we looked at this last time, that those who have not turned by faith to Jesus are dead in sin. Can you say with me, dead? You know what that means in the Greek? Dead. It means your soul is dead. You walk around, you're functioning, you're operating, you're talking, you're blinking, you're seeing, you're raising families, you're changing flat tires, you're earning a living, you're here. And your heart is beating, so physically you're alive, but spiritually you're dead. Dead in trespasses and sins, unplugged from God, lifeless. And if you don't come to him and your life is not given to him and you don't turn to Jesus by faith for the washing away of your sins, your soul is lost. You are a lost person. Jesus called you lost. He said you're lost and you need to be found. That's why it's amazing grace, because it's grace that finds you. It's grace that saves you. It's grace that raises you. It's grace that fills you with the Holy Ghost. And it's grace that's going to get you to heaven. It's amazing grace. But the Bible says, until you turn to him, you're dead in sin. You're an enemy of God, the New Testament says. In your mind, in your thinking, you are at odds with God. And the third thing is the wrath of God, the anger of God is abiding on your life. Don't let it fool you. 
The Bible says, don't envy sinners. Those who are living in sin, believe me, payday someday is on the way. Guarantee you. Then we saw that every Christian alive on earth has been called to a ministry. I want you to say with me, I've got a ministry. So I thought that was your job, Pastor Jeff. No, my job is to let you know you've got a ministry. And my job is to help you find that ministry. And my calling is to see you move in that ministry. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. So you're a saint by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you have a ministry. What is that ministry? The Bible says it's the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is when a mediator takes one hand over here and another hand over here, two people who are at odds with each other, and the reconciler brings them together. Jesus is our mediator. He's our reconciler. He took your hand, and he took God's hand. And when you put faith in Jesus, he puts your hand in God's hand and you are reconciled. And then you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Buddha can't do that for you. Muhammad can't do that for you. Confucius can't do that for you. Hugging a tree can't do that for you. Being a good person can't do that for you. Never getting a traffic ticket cannot do that for you. Only Jesus can. The Bible says God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. So you've got a message and I've got a message. And here's the message. Be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Wouldn't you love to wake up and have the guilt washed away? Wouldn't you love to wake up and be at peace with God? Wouldn't you love to be reconciled and know that your eternal soul is cared for? We've got a message. Our church has a message. And everywhere you go, you've got a pulpit with you. I'm going to shout myself down if y'all don't help me today. Everywhere you go, you've got a witness and you've got a testimony. And that is that God has reconciled us to himself through the person of Jesus. And you are called to play a part in people being reconciled to him. Now, I'm going to say that again. You have been called. Well, pastor, I'm not a very good Christian. You have been called. Well, I haven't been a Christian very long. You have been called. Well, I make mistakes sometimes. Welcome to the club. But you have been called to a ministry, a service of reconciliation. And every time you can play a part, in one person's hand, being joined in God's hand, and being brought together, then you just fulfilled your ministry as a minister of reconciliation. Now, I know what you're wondering. How do you do that? Because when I get around lost people, I don't know what to say. And I'm afraid they're going to ask me questions that I don't understand. And, and I just don't know how to go about that, Pastor Jeff. I don't know how to go in and, and, and talk to somebody about God. I'm around lost people all the time. How many of you work around somebody who's lost? How many of you live with somebody lost? I got some half mass there looking right. How many of you know somebody lost? All right. You get around them and you say, what do I say? I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach it. 
How do I approach it? By standing on a street corner and preaching? How do I approach it? By handing out Bible tracts and witnessing everywhere I go, everywhere at work, everywhere at home? Is that what I do? Well, there might be a place for that, but I want to talk to you about what I think is the most powerful way to be a minister of reconciliation. It's called friendship evangelism. How many of you know somebody on a relationship level who is lost? You highly suspect they don't know the Lord. Come on. All right. I want to show you today that the most powerful way to win somebody to the Lord is friendship evangelism. It is friendship evangelism. The very first witnessing for Jesus in the New Testament is in the text we just read. And what you see there is you see a brother leading a brother to Christ. And what you see there is you see a friend leading a friend, a co-worker leading a co-worker. John the Baptist pointed Jesus out to two of his disciples and said, there is God's lamb. There he is right there. That's the one. That's the Messiah. That's the one the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel talked about. There he is right there walking down to the river. There he is. One of those disciples was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Simon Peter who was destined to shake the world for Christ. Simon Peter who would be known for the rest of time as we know it was known by his brother. And his brother heard about Jesus before Peter did. And he went to his brother and said, we have found the Messiah. Now I want you to notice that's not theologically complicated. That is not difficult to say. That's five words. We have found the Messiah. And he, it says in the Bible, he brought Peter to Jesus. That's all. Peter, come with me. Hey, bro, come on. I want to show you the one the prophets talked about. And so he brought him to Jesus, and that's all that he had to do. I want you to notice that's all he had to do. And Jesus did the rest. Jesus, I want you to meet Peter, my brother. Peter, this is Jesus, the Messiah, the one Isaiah and the prophets talked about. And Jesus looked right at Peter and said, you have been called Simon, but you're going to be called Peter the rock. And he, he read his mail, prophesied his future, told him his destiny before he'd known him 10 seconds. And Peter's life was radically altered from that moment forward. All that Andrew had to do was bring him to meet Jesus. Then the next day, Jesus found Philip. And he said to Philip, come and see, come follow me. Jesus said to Philip, come follow me. And Philip began following Jesus around. And once he realized who he had been following around, what did Philip do? He immediately went and found a coworker. He went and found a friend. He went and found a hometown friend. And he said to Nathaniel, he said, we have found the one the prophet spoke of. And you know what his name is? His name is Jesus. And you know what Nathaniel did? Nathaniel reacted with skepticism. He said, oh, come on. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And I want you to notice with me that Philip did not argue with him, didn't debate with him. He just said, come and see. Come and see for yourself. He was just an inviter. And Nathaniel said, okay, you know, I'll come with you. So here comes Andrew and his coworker and friend Nathaniel. 
and he introduces Nathaniel to Jesus, and Jesus read his mail. Jesus immediately saw straight through him, and Jesus said to him, here comes an honest man, no guile, no hypocrisy. You mean what you say, and you say what you mean, and you're really looking for truth, and I understand that. And Nathaniel understood that Jesus had just said something accurate about him that he could never have known unless he was God and knew all things. And he said, how did you know that about me? And Jesus said, let me tell you something. I saw you under the fig tree before Philip even found you. What a statement. You know, those people who you know who are lost, Jesus sees them right where they are. He sees them under their fig tree. He sees them in the bars. He sees them at work. He sees them in their home. He sees them in their car. He knows everything about them. He knows how, how they're wired. He knows their DNA. He knows their genetic makeup. He knows their likes and dislikes. He knows where they are spiritually and where they are not spiritually. He has already full knowledge of them. And he said to Nathaniel, before he found you, I already was looking at you. And he said, you are the son of God. An obvious grasp of reality. And Nathaniel said, now I found the Lord. Peter found the Lord. They all found the Lord from somebody they knew. This shows relationship evangelism, friendship evangelism at its best. A brother leads a brother. A friend leads a friend. Because you see, as a brother or as a friend... You had and they had persuasion and influence over them that nobody else did. And you, right now, have got influence over somebody's life that nobody else has. You know why? Because you know them. Because you know them. And you have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. You have been called to play a part in them being reconciled to God. Let me tell you a little secret. If I were to take a survey today, 75 to 90% of you would say that a friend or a relative led you to Jesus. Let's just do it. How many of you can say it was a friend or a relative who led me where I found Jesus? Look around you. Look around you. There you have friendship evangelism. How many of you can say it was a stranger who led me to Christ? Raise your hand. Now look at that. Precious few. You know what that tells me? We've been called to a ministry of reconciliation. And you know who the best target is? Somebody who you know. Since we've all been called to the ministry of reconciliation, there's no easier target than somebody you know. You're a brother. You're a sister. You're a parent. You're an uncle. You're an aunt. You're a friend. You're a coworker. Somebody knows you. And you know them. And for you to say, well, I found the Messiah. You have more influence than anybody else. In fact, there are three types of people you have influence over. I want you to listen carefully. Relatives, friends, and coworkers. Relatives, friends, and coworkers. You have more influence over them than you do anybody else. Church growth research shows that each of us has an average of seven to nine friends and relatives that are not Christians. Seven to nine. There are at least five to ten people around you that you know 
who have not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, have not had their sins washed away. I'm not talking about getting them in some denomination or church. I'm talking about getting it where it is well with their soul. I'm talking about getting somebody from lost to found, from bound to free, set free, walking in peace. That's what I'm talking about. Getting peace with God. Where they end up in church is their business and God's business. I don't want to get somebody into a denomination. Jesus didn't create denominations. I'm not saying he won't bless a denomination, but Jesus didn't say, I'm dying so I can create Baptists and Methodists and Charismatics and Pentecostals and Assembly of God and Pentecostal holiness and Catholics and all of this. He said, I died for the lost. And so I'm talking about having a burden for a soul. I'm talking about wanting to share somebody, Jesus, with somebody. I'm talking about knowing that if they don't come to a knowledge of Christ, they are dead in sin, the enemy of God, and experiencing the wrath of God on their life. And so we want to see them get set free. He said, well, Pastor, I just don't have a burden about that. Then ask God to give you a burden for it. Just ask him to do it. And you know what? Winning souls is addictive. Winning souls is an addiction. Wouldn't you like to be there a minister of reconciliation, which is your calling, which is your calling, which is your ministry? Wouldn't you like to be there and see somebody pray? Listen, every Sunday when we see people get right with God, there was a man down here today weeping in the presence of God, giving his life to the Lord, getting his heart right. And to me, when I see that, I can go home. I've had church. So say with me, I'm a minister of reconciliation. It's my calling as a child of God. The Bible is filled with friendship evangelism. Let me give you some examples. In John 4:53, the story is told of a man whose son is healed, and because his son is healed, the man and his whole household believed in Jesus. All it takes is one in a family to get saved. I want you to understand the power of just one person in a family getting saved. Can I just go ahead and say it? When one person in a family gets saved, that family is marked. In Acts chapter 10, we read of a man named Cornelius who called for Simon Peter to come and tell him about Jesus. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. So this was a big deal for Simon Peter to even consider going to a Gentile and telling him about Jesus. And Simon Peter was put into a trance by the Holy Ghost. And when he fell into a spiritual trance, he saw unclean animals coming out of heaven. And a voice said to him, take Peter, kill and eat. And Simon Peter answered the Lord, kind of smart. And said, I'm not going to eat anything unclean. I don't care if it's coming down from heaven. And the voice again said, take Peter, kill and eat. And he said the same thing to the voice. And then the voice came again and said, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. That means anybody is a candidate for salvation. Anybody and everybody needs to be saved. 
And so he said, don't you call them unclean because they're Gentiles. If I want to cleanse them in my blood, they're as clean as you are. They're as pristine as you are. They are as forgiven as you are, Peter. Don't you look down on somebody because everybody, black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor, are equal at the cross. And so Peter said, okay, I'll go to his house. And so he goes to Cornelius' house. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says when Peter got there, Cornelius had gathered his close friends and his relatives to hear the message. Everybody was there. One man seeking Jesus and the whole family and all of his close friends were there to hear the apostle when he arrived. And the Bible says while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. What a great scene. He had his wife there, had his kids there, had his in-laws and outlaws there. He had everybody there. And he called all of his close friends. He said, you want to come here, this guy? We're Gentiles, but I believe Jesus is for us too. And while Peter was preaching the word, whoosh, the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. And they began to magnify and praise God and cut his sermon short. Hallelujah. What a great thing that would be if such praise broke loose. My sermon was cut short. And they were all baptized in water on the same day. One man seeking God, the whole family, and all of his close friends got saved. Friendship evangelism. When the demon-possessed man of Gadara was delivered of his torment by Jesus, the demon-possessed man who had broken chains like butter and terrified the whole town of Gadara. Supernatural strength by demon spirits. When he met Jesus, the demons came out. And the Bible says when he was in his right mind, he saw the disciples and he envied them. He wanted to be just like them. So he said to Jesus, can I join your disciples and follow you? And I want you to listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, no, but go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had compassion on you. I can use you more, son, with your friends. They're going to see you're in your right mind. They wrote you off a long time ago. They thought there was no hope for you. When you come walking in in a sound mind, sane, delivered, set free, they're not going to believe it. And they're going to say, how did this happen to you? You were living in the graveyards. You were weird. You were freaky. We didn't want anything to do with you. Well, all I know is once I was lost, but now I'm found. A man named Jesus set me free. Isn't that the way it works? Jesus gets you. He cleans you up. He gets you into a sound mind. He sets you free. And then you come across people you haven't seen in a long time. They look at you real funny. What happened to your freakiness? How come you're not weird anymore? All I can tell you is I met a man named Jesus. I'm not a theologian, but I can tell you I met a man named Jesus. And he put me in a sound mind. He set me free of the drugs, set me free of the alcohol, set me free of the depression, set me free of the insanity, set me free of the hopelessness. And what you see is because of him. That's friendship evangelism. When the woman at the well realized that Jesus was the Messiah, she too was a Gentile. She ran into her hometown. And the Bible says she told everybody she knew and who knew her, all the men in the town. She was promiscuous. She was known for loose morals. 
She was known as being the other woman. But this woman met Jesus. And all she could think to do was run into the town and tell everybody she knew. And the Bible says when they heard her testimony, she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And the Bible says, and I'm quoting, the people came streaming from the village to see him. Why? The testimony of a woman they knew and who knew them. And she had met Jesus. And her testimony caused them to want to see what had done it. You've got a testimony. You may not have a doctorate in theology, but you've got a testimony. You may not know everything, uh, the answer to every question, but you've got a testimony. Once I was lost, now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I see. I was crazy and getting crazier, and then I met a man named Jesus, and he gave me peace, and you can have the same peace. My Lord, come on, you can invite somebody to Six Flags. You can invite somebody to the State Fair. You can invite somebody to Disney World because it cranked your chain. It excited you. You can go tell somebody that the greatest ride in the world is peace with God. I know you, you can sell anything if you really believe in it. I've told you about how much I believe in Abuelo's key lime pie. <laughs> Kathy and I are connoisseurs of key lime pie. I'm just going to go ahead and give Abuelo's a whole bunch of business. You better tell them why you're there when you go. We went to Abuelo's. We've, we've had key lime pie in Galveston, different parts of the country. We know good key lime pie when we taste it. But we went to Abuelo's and one bite, and it was like, this can't be real. <laughs> Something is in this key lime pie. It was so good, you couldn't take just one bite. This was exquisite, homemade, fluffy, tangy, key lime pie, deluxe, industrial strength, the best. And I found myself with a preacher a few weeks ago, and we were talking about food, <laughs> among other things. And somehow key lime pie came up, and I started in. Oh, let me tell you something. Have you ever been to Abuelos? No. They got the best key lime pie in the world. I said, I said no, no, they don't. Uh, or he said, no, they don't. Let me tell you who does. And he told me another place, and I said, but you haven't been to Abuelos yet. They got the best key lime pie in the state of Texas. Well, how do you know that? Well, I don't know. Well, then, then I don't think you're right. I think where I go to get key lime pie has the best. And all I can finally say is, come and see. <laughs> Just come and see. I challenge you to go to Abuelos for the key lime pie, and you tell me if it's not the best you've ever tasted. That day, he was there with his wife. And he got back with me and said, that is the best key lime pie I have ever tasted in all my life. I said, I told you. What do people say when it comes to Jesus? Just come and see. The people came streaming from the village to see him because of the testimony of somebody they knew. Now, let me give you some points from this. The first one is because of relationship, you've got influence. With your circle of family, friends, and coworkers, nobody else has. I was the first one to be saved in my family. After years of witnessing and living for Jesus with my family, my mother got saved, my sister got saved, my dad got saved, and the testimony of Jesus began to infiltrate my family. What gave me 
influence that others didn't have. I was their son. I was their brother. And they listened to me. You have relationship with people who are lost. You're there with them every day. They know you. And all you've got to say is, come and see. Jesus, help me. The Lord really gave me peace. Or, boy, we had a great time in church last week. Well, what'd you do? Then just tell them what you did. You don't have to say much. You don't have to have all the answers. But you've got influence because you have relationships. Second thing is, you have an arsenal of powerful weapons at your disposal when you're with them. Now, let me give you three of the most powerful real quickly. First one, your testimony, how you came to Jesus. That is so powerful. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. You can't imagine the power of a testimony. When you say, you know, I used to be messed up in this and that and the other. I used to really be living in sin. Or, you know, I was always basically a good person, never really broke any laws, but God showed me that I was just as lost as anybody else. Just a testimony. That is one of the weapons in your arsenal. The second thing is your life lessons. Your life lessons are what God has taught you for you more than any single thing. Your life lessons. One of my life lessons is this Bible is the Word of God, and I know it. He has shown that to me. He has confirmed that to me. He has affirmed that to me. I know the Bible is the Word of God. Another one of my life lessons is that grace can carry you through anything. Grace can help you out of any pit. Though everybody else walks out, he walks in. My testimony is that I know the one who sticks closer than a brother. That's one of my life lessons. I know that to be true. You have a life lesson, and that is one of the weapons in your arsenal when you're talking to somebody. And, of course, the last one is John 3.16, the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He didn't give his only son along with a bunch of others. He gave only his only son, that whoever puts faith in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You have in your arsenal of weapons your testimony, you have your life lessons, and you have the gospel. And there you are sitting next to somebody lost. And what do they have? They have desperation. They're in darkness. They need to be saved. For you to simply say, you know, the Lord Jesus just changed my life. You can't imagine the power of that. The third thing is you need to look for opportunities. Look for opportunities. Watch for the Holy Spirit to open up opportunities. Can I say this to you today that the Holy Spirit is always working in the earth. He's moving right now in this place. He's moving out there in the bars. He's moving in the casinos. He's moving in the hotels. He's moving among the drug addicts. He's moving among the up and outers and the down and outers. He's moving in the earth. And you got to look for opportunities that he's going to open for you to share the word. Jesus said, look around you. Vast fields of human souls are ripening all around us and are ready now. Can everybody say ready now? They are ready now for reaping. And then finally, you got to take action. That's one thing to have a good idea or a God idea. It's another thing to take action. All around us, people are lost. 
And you know what the Bible just told us through Jesus? All around us are yes people. All around us are ready people. They're ready for the harvest. They're ready to be told. They are white for harvest. They're prepared by the Holy Spirit. They're just waiting. The Holy Spirit's waiting for a vessel who will just say something. They're out there. And so you've got to take action. When you see the opportunity, dive in and just take action. I'm always thinking when I'm out there in public, I'm always thinking, uh, all right, do I need to say something here? Restaurants all the time. Uh, I'll say to the waitress, uh, you go to church anywhere? What a simple question. Well, you know, I'm a Baptist. What that means is everybody in Texas is either a Baptist or a Catholic, and it doesn't mean they're saved at all. So they say, oh, you know, you know, I, I'm a member of the Baptist. How long has that you been? Well, you know, it's been, a, it's been a while. Well, how long? Well, 13 years, you know, <laughs> give or take a few. I say, you know, can I just invite you to church? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and see Jesus healing people. Come and see people getting saved. Come and see the hopeless receiving hope. Come and see his people worshiping him in the beauty of the Holy Ghost and in the beauty of holiness. I want you to come and see what God is doing in our church. Just come and see. Once you get there, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. Just come and see. I want to invite you. And is there anything I can pray with you about? Do you know that when you ask somebody if you can pray for them, I've almost never been told, no, there's not really a thing you can pray with me about. I've never had anybody say that to me. Even lost people who could care less about God. Is there anything I can pray with you about? Well, you know, I can't pray. But yeah, if you're going to be praying, pray for my family. Pray for my kids. Pray for my health. I got a bad report from the doctor. And you know what you do? Right then and there, you just pray. Or you tell them, I'll pray. I'll pray for you. And you have just sown a seed because you have a an arsenal of weapons, and you're a minister of reconciliation, and God has called you to tell them something too good to be true. You really can be forgiven. You really can get a new lease on life. You really can be set free. Now you go and tell them. Amen? Stand up with me, would you? Let's stand up together, and I want to have a prayer time. And I want us to pray for those that we know who are lost. Family, friends, coworkers. Family, friends, and coworkers. I want you to pray for the person you're closest to that you think you would have the most influence with. And I want us to do something today. I want us to target them in love, in a good way. Well, Pastor Jeff, that sounds kind of strange, targeting somebody. Well, guess what? They're already targeted. They're targeted for destruction. They are targeted for destruction. Every lost person out there has a satanic assignment over their life. And the enemy is bringing just what it's going to take into their life to destroy them forever. And they will be destroyed. So we target them for love, and we target them for Him. How many of you can say, I, I know one person in my life who I know is not saved, and I'm going to pray for him. And you might be Jesus with skin on him, the only Jesus they're ever going to see. 
So let's pray for them right now. Father, we know that if they're outside of Jesus Christ, they are dead in sin. They are enemies of God in their actions and thoughts. And we know, Lord, that the wrath of God is being experienced by them because of sin. But, Lord, we know that you came that we might be delivered, saved, set free, and come into the life and light of God through Jesus. We ask you, Lord, to give us the grace to take our testimony and our life message and the gospel and patience and wisdom to them. And just say to them, come and see. Come and see. Let me just take you where Jesus is moving. Now I want you to take a moment right now and just give that name to the Lord. Say their name and say, Lord, save them. Touch them. Help me to reach them.